Hey, James. Hi, Julia. We are taking a ride on to the audio world. How do we feel about that? It feels great, Julia. Well, y'all, thank you all for listening along, and thank you especially to Oliver and Horace for sharing the space with us. I'm Julia Fade, and you know my voice as the MC from the Micromobility Conferences. During the day, though, I'm actually working on mobility and climate at the global nonprofit RMI. But you can find me anytime riding e-bikes in LA. And I'm James Gross, co-founder and CEO of Micromobility Industries and Ride Review. And just like Julia, you can find me riding all over Southern California as well. Every week, y'all have been watching James and me on the YouTube uh, channel, Ride On, covering the micromobility news. We take these topics from our micromobility newsletters that come out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So if you haven't subscribed already, please go ahead and do so. Our topics range from new vehicles to new mobility business models to government policy and city infrastructure. And usually, James and I disagree. But together, our goal is to better explore and snapshot the weekly happenings of the fastest growing and funnest, yes, this is a word, funnest form of mobility in the world, small electric vehicles. Julia, we also did two other things um, that are awesome as part of this show. First, uh, we are giving away amazing vehicles almost every week. So head on over to ridereview.com and hit our giveaways link for your chance to win uh, at any time. Second, we always interview at the end of the show a founder or CEO who usually has a product launch or has a breaking news story to share with us. Um, so with that, of course, we'd love for your feedback on the show, whether on YouTube or on, on our podcast channels. So please leave uh, comments when you can so that we can take that feedback and make the show even better. Thanks, y'all, for letting us invade your audio world. And if you ever want to watch the show in video, head over to YouTube, search for Ride On. Ride On. Welcome to Ride On, episode 23. I'm James Gross, and I'm joined by my co-host, Julia Fain. Julia's back in Los Angeles, it looks like. Maybe no travel this week. What's going on, Julia? <laughs> I like how part of this podcast is actually just like tracking my travels around the world. Um, James, I mean, you're, you're a global traveler yourself. You're a world traveler yourself, going over to Europe uh, for Eurobike and other things. But yeah, this week I'm back in LA. It's sunny. It's hot. I got to get my Rad Runner 3 Plus and ride around a little bit. Um, but yeah, uh, everything's good. How about how about you, James? Yeah, everything's good over here. Size out. Definitely not as hot as the rest of the world, it appears. Yeah, on the, the coast of California. Um, so that's nice. But yeah, riding. Got some new vehicles to ride to, some new reviews. Oh, yeah? What reviews should we be looking for to come out? Got Emerald coming up and got this new electric uh, skateboard as well, which I can't totally disclose yet but yeah we got that as well so <laughs> interesting we of, yeah we got a lot of writing to do yeah um, announcement for next week perhaps we, yes yes perhaps um so a couple of housekeeping items first and foremost we're going to do one more week of the vela 2 giveaway um so shout out to vela for um of course being a part uh, or, or allowing us to give away one of their amazing vehicles uh we had their co uh co ceo justin on the show two weeks ago um, so we'll do that for one more week uh, of the giveaway. You can submit your information at ridereview.com um, and we will, we will announce that winner next Thursday on the show. As well, I mentioned it last week, but I also want to say that Julie and I will also be on uh, an audio format on the Micromobility Podcast on Spotify and on uh, Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you might listen to podcasts that will also uh, we will also be combining that with the what was the Micromobility Podcast show that Oliver Bruce and Oris Dedu did 
Um, so now you ideally, if you haven't listened to them before it went by subscribing to our channel, um, on any of those podcast stations, you'll get both, uh, Julie and I in audio format along with, um, mm-hmm. Oliver's and Horace's podcast as well. So just one more, uh, shout out there. And Julia, one final announcement that I'm really excited about is for the first time ever at Microbloody America in October, the second day, the Friday, we will be doing an official ride expo or ride on expo. You might want to call it. This will be a day dedicated fully to anyone from the public in the, in the, in the area or anyone that wants to come in, of course, from around the world, uh, to come and ride all the vehicles that will be exhibiting at Micromobility America. This will be everything from electric bikes, to scooters, to mopeds, to motorcycles, and neighborhood electric vehicles. Um, and this is the first time we've ever done this. And uh, we're taking a lot of the momentum that we saw in Europe, of course, with our DJ ride with Don Whiting, and we're trying to apply it to a full day of uh, just kind of fun where we'll have music. And of course, we'll have test tracks. And then we'll also just have the broader, beautiful Bay Area where you can ride along the Bay Trail all the way from, say, Richmond, you take it. To, you could take a, the vehicle to San Francisco, I guess, if you wanted on the ferry, and then of course all the way down to Oakland. Um, so yeah, full day. The coolest thing about this is, you know, the price is uh, five dollars from that right now if you buy now. So the price will go up a little bit, um, but basically we're trying to make this as accessible as possible to as many people as possible that are interested in the micromobility movement that want to ride on these vehicles and want to try them out. And of course, we'll have amazing vendors that will will give you the opportunity to do that. So yeah, what do you think, Julie? Are you excited for this? James, it sounds awesome. Very excited. I'm secretly hoping that my $5 ticket will get comped. Maybe I can just get there for free. We'll see. (laughs) But James, I am also very excited. I'm sure all of the brands are going to be wanting to show the various micromobility vehicles. And I imagine that this will be a great way of familiarizing the rest of the Bay Area with just like the diversity of micromobility vehicles there are. I, one thing I do hope, actually two things I do hope, one is that um, folks can actually buy vehicles on site. I don't know whether or not we're going to be able to do that through the expo, but it'd be amazing if somebody could just like walk home or rather ride home uh, with their new micromobility vehicle. And the second is, James, why are we getting DJ Don Whiting to come to, to the Bay? You know, like with that rave ride, like single-handedly, the best part of uh, micromobility Europe, not just my opinion, was also kind of your opinion, even though when we uh, tried to uh, uh, both talk about what our favorite uh, parts of uh, micromobility Europe were, we kind of f- that up. But in any case, um, I think <laughs> um, I think DJ Don Whiting has got to make a, um, another uh, appearance at Micromobility America. Okay, well, don't don't scoop us, Julia. We got to figure out. You know, it's not <laughs> not easy to uh, acquire talent this far in advance of a of a show. Um, and that's a that's a big vehicle to go across the Atlantic with. Um, that's true. That's and all the way true. across we America. To, yeah, we might um, have to get the Titanic too to, to ship <laughs> home with a vehicle. <laughs> totally. So yeah, we will have some fun. We will definitely have music. We will definitely have rides. Um, and uh, yeah, stay tuned. We'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, we hope you can make it. Of course, if you want more details, it's also in the Microbility and the Ride Review newsletters that was out today. Um, so yeah, hope to, hope to see you there and hopefully... You know, it's the type of ticket that, um, while still $5 right now, um, you know, it's something that we get a lot of people to really afford and be a part of. Um, and with that, that's it for announcements, Julia. Let's uh, let's send it over to you for the news. Yeah, well, James, this isn't as big a news week as it was last week um, with the news of FanMoof and Cowboy and even some of the shared um, mobility providers that have actually done quite well and are reaching profitability. Um, I just wanted to give a, a few updates on the story about Van Moof in particular before jumping into the news from this week. 
Um, there have been some very good articles that have come out about, you know, the implications for the rest of the industry of what has happened with Benmove. Uh, would definitely encourage people to go to Zag Daily, to go to TechCrunch, check out some of those articles. Um, what uh, they say overall, really, and it's some good testimonials too, uh, both from leaders in the industry and then just from folks who have VanMoof uh, 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 bikes themselves, um, is that you know sentiment is split in one way. Uh, what um, people are grateful for uh, VanMoof uh, is that uh, they did set a precedent in the industry for an e-bike that was cool, that was a luxury product, that was something that you know, especially if you were in the tech community, you sort of aspired to have. And so it set uh, in many ways the e-bike industry off in a different direction than it was before and even um, widen the aperture of, of folks who might be interested in an e-bike. On the other hand, a lot of these stories are also talking about issues with repairs, maintenance, and even the way in which uh, Benmoof Ben rather uh, shut down or paused uh, its sales and its payments. And I think what this part of the story, you know, the fact that it was so abrupt that in one, um, you know, anecdote, for example, there was a uh, a guy who had left his van move in the repair center and actually the doors were locked so he couldn't get it. So his van move bike is just stuck in the repair center itself. You know, I think what this really uh, shows us is that um, there's a continued importance of continuity and how direct to consumer brands, including ones that go under, interact with their customers. And there's a way to do that well, there's a way to do that poorly. Um, so I think, you know, again, implications for the industry of what's happened with Van Woof um, is that it's so important to create um, some of this brand loyalty to set out a, a really high quality product uh, that attracts a, a number of customers from the onset and maybe diversifies the base of who wants an e-bike. At the same time, you can't forget what the customer experience is all along the customer experience, whether that means you're selling them the bike, maintaining the bike, or um, uh, you know, finally having to to close down shops and businesses. So, James, I'm wondering if you're hearing, and you know, again, before I jump into the news from this week, wonder if you're hearing any more fallout from uh, what's been happening with Van Move, or had any other reflections from our our conversation last week? Yeah, that's really well said and, and well reported. I I um, actually took a little bit of the inspiration from our conversation last week, and I put that up on LinkedIn and. Um, you know, tried to explain what I was, some of our, my take, I guess, but our take that was a little different than what I was reading about. One, one being sort of like Europe, um, specifically the culture in Amsterdam, not supporting Van Move like I think they should have, and why a company that ambitious, most likely, if you look at the data, would have done much better founded in the U.S. than Europe. Um, that wasn't a very popular opinion based on some of the comments I got back. <laughs> was it not? Um, oh, really? You pissed shocking. off a bunch of Europeans? Yeah. Yeah. Um, didn't, didn't mean to, just trying to just... Try to try to tell the truth again. Just let let, let, let the data show the story. Whether or not you want to you hear that, you should have posted on Fourth of July just to really hammer home the point. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. American. No, it's not like that. It's just it's just the data. I'm just, I'm just trying to explain the data. And then the second, and again, this is where I maybe I'll end it because I I think we're getting a little bit too more full about a company that was never that big in the context of like vehicle sales, um, which is uh, I think the form factor ultimately did it in a lot of ways in terms of releasing the demand for Bentmoof um, and it appealing more to a cyclist and maybe like the concept of what we think the future of mobility would be like. Like someone in the comments actually made a really good point. Like the, the, the original Model T was really like, it looked like a horse carriage, right? Um, and, you know, you look at, you know, now we drive like tanks around, right? Because it doesn't look like a horse carriage at all. And I think there's a lot of that to be understood in the in our world, which is 
uh, an e-bike is not a bike. And um, I think that the, the, the people that understand that are winning the most. So, you know, shout out, hail up to their move and the ambition. Um, but we will, you know, the only progress is forward. And um, there's much bigger players in the space that are serving customers. And, um, you know, I hope those stories continue to come out. And this, is, this isn't just haterade for people that want to, you know, not believe this movement's real. That's it. <laughs> Haterade. Nice. Nice. I haven't heard that one in a while. So thanks for bringing that back into the everyday lexicon. I hope Gen Z adopts this and then it just becomes something that'll be we talk about on a day basis. All right, James. So on to some more good news stories now. Um, And actually back across the pond uh, into Europe. Uh, We've got some new data coming out from London that reveals that in the city of London, um, bicycles now represent a larger portion of city traffic than cars. So first of all, a quick geography lesson for those who don't know, London is actually made up of boroughs, rather. And so um, this data is coming from the city of London, which is actually a one square mile area where you have a lot of the banks, financial institutions, et cetera. So we're not talking about the whole greater London, just to clarify, not talking about the whole greater London, talking about the city city of London. Nonetheless, this is very important because this is where a lot of people work. Uh, In the city of London, um, when they did a count of traffic, they found that cycles represented 26.8% of traffic versus uh, 25.8% for cars. Uh, The next biggest category was vans, then taxis, then um, motorcycles, buses and coaches, and lorries. So really, really interesting that in 2022, finally, bicycles surpassed cars in terms of uh, traffic in the city of London. I think, honestly, what you're going to be seeing is that... um, uh, you know, this uh, trend is going to be replicated across greater London, especially as the uh, greater London uh, invests in more bike lanes. So I'm very, very excited for the next time I go to London and get to bike around and also get to see how many cycles are outnumbered cars. Um, similarly, James, we've got the royal family that's finally getting into, I know, I know, we're getting, we're getting royal in micromobility. So the royal family is finally getting into micromobility. And it's been reported. Is that your crown? Did you just put a crown crown on? (laughs) Like LeBron. Um, Okay. But anyway, back to this news story. So, uh, uh, James, which royal do you think purchased an electric scooter? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, there's not a lot left over there, right? So um, There's tons left. Are you kidding? Everybody's a royal in the UK. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. I'm thinking about the the big dogs. I only know a couple of them. Um, (laughs) Let's go with William. Of course, it's William. I mean, obviously, it's William. So Prince William has bought an electric scooter. He's traveling around the Windsor Estates on his electric scooter, which, like, I'm sure is actually kind of a long distance. It's probably bigger than the city of London. Um, And so uh, there have been, you know, photos, videos of him traveling around on an electric scooter. Uh, Prince William is actually also a big fan, uh, allegedly, of uh, motorbikes. So who knows? Maybe the next time we'll see Prince William on an electric motorbike. Uh, and then we'll find that we have our own uh, micromobility influencer in a British royal. What do you think of that, James? I think that's real. And yeah, I think the story goes that the the estate is like two to three miles and he found it to be, you know, completely inefficient to like be hauled around in a car too far to walk. Um, the cool thing is, I think in the US, I know this is true, I think it's also true in the UK, you know, basically three miles is roughly the you know is is more than 50 percent of all trips in the u.s and single car occupancies so it's like what what william is coming to the realization of is like this is a very dumb way to move around and it's probably much funner and much cleaner and, and kind of cooler to do it on a, on a different type of small vehicle so that's cool realization and of course coming from you know 
what is a prestigious person. And so, you know, you hope you can kind of take that logic and apply it to all kinds of trips that happen around the UK or happen around uh, the US. And yeah, I mean, definitely, James, um, it is cool that he like logiced his way into a scooter rather than having to do it for any other reason. What the story didn't report is what brand electric scooter Prince William is using. So if anybody knows, drop it in the comments. Would love to know and also would love to invite that company onto Ride On Podcast so they they can do a giveaway. And so whoever is a recipient of this giveaway can be like Prince William and ride around like a royal. Which actually, speaking of which, that should be a good, that's a good tagline for a company. Ride like a royal. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So back to the news. So James, also uh, in Europe, last week, Paris City Hall signed a new measure and will charge larger and heavier vehicles a fee for city parking or a higher fee for city parking. Um, what I thought was uh, really interesting about this uh, new measure is that the law is aimed at discouraging auto obesity and then also incentivizing the use of smaller vehicles. So leave it to the French to come up with a clever pun like auto obesity. Um, one of the reasons why the officials did this is they said the number of SUVs in the city has increased by 60% over the last few years or four years rather. Uh, SUVs are now making up 15% of the uh, little more than a, uh, a million private vehicles parked in Paris every evening. Um, so again, you know, we're seeing um, officials who are actually getting the courage to make some change uh, and to start um, imposing, you know, uh, actually imposing the externalities of these larger, heavier vehicles onto the vehicle owners themselves. James, do you think we'll see this anywhere else? I'm, well, first I want to know, do you like, are you a fan of like um, fat car shaming? Is this okay to do? Or, or like fat uh, car shaming? Interesting. Yeah, um, auto obesity is like you're calling someone yeah. like, their car like fat and you're shaming them. Like, is that you okay? Know, are we think about that? As a, like, I have like you? a little bit of a visceral reaction to that, maybe because like I grew up as like a girl in America. And so any sort of fat shaming, just like is whether it? it's a car or a person, I'm just like not down for. So let me, let me like dip my toes in the water for that. But like for right now, yeah. I feel like I'm not going to be fat shaming any cars. Are you going to be fat shaming cars, James? No, I mean, I, I don't. I, I mean, I, I think it's like, it's just funny. That there's like a little bit of irony, I feel like with the group that's probably leading this auto obesity charge also being the type of group that might know a lot of fat shame people. So um, <laughs> I think there's some, I think there might be some hypocrisy here. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan. I don't think it's, I don't think it's good. I think it's alarming that clearly everyone's driving an SUV now in Paris, like, cause that's that, well, the math will pencil out there. So I guess shaming is one way to do it. Um, and then of course, I think all the other things they're doing on that note, Julia though. So in my first news story of the day, um, staying over, um, you know, on the other side of the world, um, the news out of the Ukraine, I don't know if you saw this, but. Um, there's British soldiers um, that are actually looking to adopt um, uh, electric bikes with rocket launchers on them for some of their reconnaissance and journeys, you know, potentially all around the world. These are pink gnarly photos. These are pretty big rocket launchers on these electric bikes. We've talked in the past how like Cake has promoted a lot of their electric motorbikes um, for like anti-poaching. And that's kind of like a nice feel good story. This is a little bit more like, hey, this is like straight up war and potentially the best way to 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 launch a, a missile a rocket off of you know is, is from an electric bike and so this is it's pretty wild while we have like paris this you know the city of love the, this beautiful place 
um, where like it's being inundated by like vehicles that look like tanks, like the SUVs today. I mean, again, I'm just shocked at every new edition I see where like they increasingly look like they're tanks, but that the actual soldiers are not using SUVs. They're using, of course, these like really small electric vehicles because it's way better for like how they want to move around. It's way quieter. It's way more efficient. It's way faster. Um, there's also, Julia, I don't know if you've seen this, but like a Reddit and other places, like all these, all the one wheel channels are, are showing how a lot of Ukrainian soldiers are using one wheels on the battlefield. And it's wild. Like, yeah, we'll show the video. Like, um, you know, they're literally the way they're moving off road. And of course, like, you know, the arguments would be, oh, well, you can't do that in the mud, right? Like in the wet season. Sure. But like, you know, a one wheel is a couple thousand dollars, like, you know, for the price of a Jeep, like, you know, they could have, they could literally outfit them with these things differently and or use just different motorbikes when it is wet or yeah, like super raining. But yeah, the videos, I mean, it's incredible the way these soldiers are using one wheels to move around, navigate, of course, literally fight a war. Um, so I think there's like a story there, Julia, like we, as people, as citizens, like we're, we're arming ourselves with tanks. Our soldiers that actually fight wars are arming themselves with small electric vehicles. And then there's just like so much history around the vehicle and wars, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of amazing reporting from like World War II, right? So World War II in America, for instance, you know, we, we, we took over a lot of the automobile factories and we turned them into tank factories. You know, the Sherman tanks came out of the Ford factories in Detroit, but also here in California, even where actually where we're going, where Michael Mobility is, you know, it used to be a Ford factory it was converted to make Sherman tanks during World War II. They, could, they, they put those tanks on Liberty ships, which were right in the Bay that Kaiser and his teams made. But also the other innovation that Ford and the team came up with was like, we not only can make Sherman tanks, which uh, the other amazing story there is that was mostly women making those tanks, but we can make Jeeps and we can modularize the Jeeps so we can containerize them, meaning we can put them in these like really efficient containers and ship them crops. And if you know like any of the stories from World War II, like one of the things that, that there's a lot of documentation on is how the, the German soldiers were like just, you know, amazed by all these Jeeps that were all of a sudden in Europe and like, where did they come from and how did the Americans do this? Well, it was from like, you know, really innovative styles from entrepreneurs thinking differently. It was from like using like the latest and greatest in, in, you know, mobility to like win a war basically. And those, those Jeeps were, were, were smaller. They were like, and again, you could modularize them. You take them apart, put them back together really easily. Um, and so it's just kind of cool that like, you know, in many ways they say, you know, there's a there's famous saying, which is like the Jeeps and the Liberty ships World War II. Um, you know, you could argue, or, you know, two of the most important technologies that won war too. Um, you could make the argument maybe that like maybe small electric vehicles are going to have a huge, huge impact on, on the Ukraine war. Um, which again, I know I'm going off here a little bit too long, but you know, there's like so many cool little parallels here that probably have an important, probably right now what we're seeing will one day have a really important impact on how we think about moving and hopefully it might make some, make some consumers realize they can make those different decisions on mobility. So yeah, what yeah, are you, are you yeah. have thoughts there, Julia? Yeah, I mean, the main thought that comes to mind, James, is a lot of the um, innovation in the U.S., right, is spurred on by defense spending. If mm -hmm. We have huge budgets for our Department of Defense. We have huge budgets for defense generally. And um, some of those dollars aren't necessarily spent on, you know, battles or wars or even on, you know, technologies that are explicitly uh, war technologies or battle technologies. And so it makes me think that um, whether it's in the Ukraine or whether it's here, whether it's elsewhere, um, you know, maybe what you might start seeing actually is uh, more defense budget being spent on small electric vehicles and this better sense of how small electric vehicles could fit in with 
either the movements around bases or for that matter, you know, the movements in the actual um, out in the field um, for people. So I would say for me, that's my takeaway of like what might be a positive or a benefit of, of this. Um, the other thing that comes to mind, James, is that we did have a few people actually reach out to us about um, having um, some conversations at Micromobility America around how, um, uh, you know, Army, Navy, Air Force are using lightweight electric vehicles. So it might actually be time to have those conversations and start figuring out um, whether in this case there is a, a there there um, for how uh, lightweight electric vehicles are being used um, across, uh, you know, even more scenarios than you know we could possibly imagine. So not oh, not too yeah. much of a tangent, James. Um, I think I think an interesting an interesting trend, and from my perspective at least, it is all about spurring the innovation, um, directing a little bit more funding into the manufacturing of these things, and again, I think also um, starting to think about uh, domestic manufacturing of, of micro mobility vehicles, whether it's in the U.S. or whether it's in other places they're manufacturing domestically. I absolutely love that. Like, yes, like totally challenge accepted. We've got to, we've got to do more. We should have more discussions on stage around defense spending and, you know, even pointing more micromobility entrepreneurs potentially towards the government and towards government and towards government contracts. Because yeah, you're totally right. Like we got to, we got to have this conversation. Let's stop talking about, you know, weird policy conversations at the local level let's talk about like what can the big <laughs> what can what should we be doing no, no, we can't, for... yeah we can't, we can't get away from the weird policy conversations at the local level I mean, but we, def- we definitely like, can expand <laughs> it's like uh, i think i heard someone say that on twitter already that's not interesting let's talk about <laughs> Was like you yeah no, no. are you quoting no. yourself no yeah, I'm, James I'm just, said. I'm, yeah. no i'm just criticizing your policy panels no, sorry. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh my God. All right, James. Well, with that said, should we go over to you for the, the launches? <laughs> yes, we should. We should. We should. Okay. So some really cool vehicles out um, that are super amazing and like we're, we're really excited about. Uh, the first up is uh, Tesla. So Tesla actually makes a small electric vehicle. Um, and so their Cybertruck, which is inspired for, for kids, basically, um, their four-wheeler, um, is done really well. It's sold out in the U.S. and they're actually going to start to sell it in China as well. Now that was their announcement. So um, I actually never seen a Tesla four wheeler around. Have you, Julia? Um, up there at the, the only mountains in anywhere? the launch, only in the launch. But it was that was the thing that yeah. when they launched the Cybertruck. I don't know if you remember this, but um, they had the quad come out of the back of the Cybertruck, and it was like the coolest part. Like the right. Cybertruck itself was kind of weird looking, yes. and when they tried to test the windows and said they were unbreakable, both of the windows broke. So it was just like un- underwhelming to say the least. But the quad, the quad looks cool. I agree. I agree. And, you know, like shout out to those guys for doing that, but also like, let's come on, let's see more small electric vehicles. You are all very capable. You're all amazing inventors over there at Tesla. Um, there are plenty of other vehicles that you could make that don't look like a sedan. So I hope you, I hope you take that challenge on and let's see more of that. Um, another one, Julia, actually from when I was at Eurobike, I got to meet a company called, um, I think you pronounce it, uh, Sixy or Sexy. Uh, C-I-X-I. I think that it's sexy. I think it is. I, I, I met him. No, I, met I don't him. think so. I think I he think said so. it's sexy. I think he said it's sexy. I swear. He was French. He was flirting with me. And I think he said my company is sexy. Good try, James. 
I'm telling you, it's true. So we'll roll, we'll roll the film and be riding this thing. But this is sexy, has a chainless drive system oh God, that's super please. great. And they announced the collaboration with Look Bikes for their chainless technology. Of all the chainless technology I've ridden, I, I think Sexy's felt the best. It felt the most sexy, maybe. Um, and it was really cool. And the other thing, stop rolling your eyes. You're having, you're having like too much fun with this joke. It's like <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and you just tone it down a little bit. <laughs> All right. Okay. 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 Continue. okay. okay. Sorry. Um, but the other thing that Sexy announced is that they think they can get their chainless drives up to like 75 miles per hour. Um, and so clearly you can start to think about chainless drives, not just in e-bike or, you know, a class one, class two, class three, you know, small vehicle, but you can see it in maybe motorcycles and dirt bikes and other things of course that go a lot faster um so that's really cool and shout out to them for, for getting that out we should have them on the pod um at some point another announcement is from Varelis. um they have i've of all the, re- the the vehicles we reviewed in the e-bike category i've actually never seen a five inch fat tire like a, a true fat tire that's that's five inch that's made for mountain biking they've announced their first mountain bike it's called the keystone it has a five inch tire on it moving on Electric has uh, make beautiful bikes. They have, of course, in the the theme that we've seen so much, Julia. They have two new cargo bikes out. One's long tail, and again, like just like the five inch tire is getting slightly bigger. The, the thing that's pretty impressive about these electric vehicles is they can now they have to carry capacity up to four hundred forty pounds. Which again, for the size of them, and you look at them, you think, wow, you can carry four hundred forty pounds on this thing. Uh, but yeah, so just super cool and super interesting. And then finally, on the the point of like we're starting to bring you more electric skateboards. Uh, track pod has a new uh skateboard out and uh, it's their first electric model and it's supposed to really uh try to uh, feel like a being on a snowboard so we haven't i tried to get out yeah there's videos out there of it um but that's cool and you know a lot of people like to cruise like a snowboard now you can do it without snow and mountain um so yeah shout out to them any thoughts there julia before we invite our guest onto the stage yeah i mean i think vehicles. this idea of um yeah of eb city is a good one uh, I'm just going to see if that I can make that happen. Uh, one of the reasons why I think it is actually a good uh, thing to be seeing uh, bigger micro mobility vehicles is that they're car replacers. So when you have a smaller electric vehicle, you can't carry as much. Um, it's not necessarily going to be replacing your everyday car. Uh, if you have a car, it might not even be replacing the need to have a second car if you have a larger family and, and feel like you need to have a second car and are foolish enough to be able to buy one. But I think when you have these larger vehicles that you can presumably go um, in, in garages or whatever else, uh, then all of a sudden you have something that could uh, feasibly replace both your first and, you know, potentially uh, also a second car. Um, so that's really, really interesting. Uh, not to mention the fact that some of the vehicles that you mentioned, James, feel like they could also work for uh, a defense um, uh, use case. So um I think the last thing I would say is I am not a skateboard rider. I don't actually know how to ride a skateboard. So I'm curious about the electric skateboards because I'm wondering I'm wondering if those are easier to ride, especially for people who want to look like they're cool and from SoCal, but don't necessarily know how to ride a skateboard. So I'm curious to check that out. Um, all right, Julia, we have um, Ellie Wertheimer, who is the CEO and founder of Lavoy, uh, who's going to join us here on stage. Um, they have their first uh, scooter that they're actually launching, um, that they launched actually at Micromobility America in June, and they're taking their first pre-orders. Um, and yeah, we've got Elliot here to talk more about that and, and the background on the boy. So welcome, Elliot. How are you doing today? Good, and you? Thank you for having me on the podcast. 
Yeah, of course. No problem. It's great to great to see you again. I just got to see you at, on stage at Microbloody America. Uh, sorry, Microbloody Europe uh, just last month. So um, it's good to, good to be back in touch. So um, in terms of the, the background on the the scooter, of course, uh, Elliot, your your experience uh, founding the company, um, you being a part of McLaren, I think McLaren kind of speaks for its own in terms of like what uh, the products that, that have been made there and just the amazing um, innovation, design, uh, and just the appeal of the McLaren brand. So now you have, uh, of course, Lavoy. Um, I think that where I'd love to start is, and I, I, I saw you talk about this on stage, so I'm just, I'm interested in your, I thought you had a really good answer. Like, how do you think about um, an electric bike versus an electric scooter and why why potentially an electric scooter over an electric bike? Clearly we think it's not a zero sum game. You don't have to just have one, not the other, but why, pitch the audience on why you, you think the electric scooter is, is better for a lot of rides than an electric bike. So that's that's a very good question, actually. So the first thing I want to slightly correct is Lavoie is a subsidiary of McLaren Applied rather than McLaren, and McLaren Applied is now a, a separate company. They were, you know, of course, built together and part of the same group, but now they operate as two separate entities. Also, you know, still very close links, but separate company. I have to highlight that. So um, it's a very interesting question because when we got into this, we had a very, you know, agnostic engineering approach, which was to say, okay, you now have you know, amazing materials available to you, amazing, you know, power electronics, new brushes, DC motors, new battery cells. You can make, you know, uh, much more powerful with higher energy capacity vehicles that can be also lighter and potentially cheaper than they would have had to be, you know, 10 years ago. So we didn't go in there thinking, let's do e-scooters specifically. We went in there looking at what is the best configuration you can have to exploit, you know, the physics of these new technologies, right? And make them as efficient as possible to solve the issues that, you know, micromobility are here to solve, which are, of course, uh, noise, pollution, congestion, helping traffic, basically, you know, helping people live better lives in urban environments and beyond that, you know, what's in the country settings. That, that's the key, the key factor. And so when we looked at it, obviously the most basic, uh, the most basic structure you look at is having wheels and then you want to put the, the motor and the battery as close to each other as possible, right? So effectively, you get to kind of an electric skateboard, basically, right? That's as compact and, and small as you can get, where everything is super close together and very light, and, and it works well. Now, the problem with skateboards is that you have, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to be balanced on them. You need some experience. You need some confidence that most of, a, of the population won't have. Um, and so how do you get better from there? Well, you had to act, you add a, a, a handle, make sure that the whole thing is stable, right? Uh, and when you do that, you know, by, by increasing slightly the size of the wheels and having two wheels, you suddenly have a much, much better riding experience. And the whole thing starts to make sense where you get all the power, energy, and, you know, to, together, very close, uh, with good range, good, good speed, and so on. And at the same time, you have a good handle that you can place looking at ergonomics in a way where you get a lot of stability um, a lot of comfort also when you ride, right? And that's that's the e-scooter, right? So the approach was very physical and, and you know, say mathematical, like we looked at it properly and the e-scooter is actually the best configuration to to have optimal, you know, micro-mobility vehicles, right? Now, when you look at e-bikes, I think, and that's that's my opinion, of course, but I think what, what happened is, you know, they're, they're much they're a much older vehicle that you know society is very used to they've been very widely used in many countries all over the world for a long time 
uh, specifically with adults, right? It's something that adults are used to. They grew up with them and, and they've seen their parents using them. They've seen their family using them. So e-bikes are, first of all, uh, a much easier thing to adopt in your daily life, right? It's much, it's much easier to use them on a daily basis. Um, the second thing is e-bikes do have a thing that scooters don't have is that they offer you the possibility, of course, of riding to the office, you know, without breaking your sweat and then coming back, doing a little bit of sports, fitness, and so on. Of course, also allowed to you know compensate people that used to love cycling aren't able to do it anymore to, to to keep cycling at their own pace, take hills they couldn't take before for you know either old age or you know maybe handicaps. And so, so e-bikes do bring you that right. So they are they have their their good their good stuff and they they were something that was that was much more easily adopted by society because people are, I think much more used to them. Now. The opinion that's you know objective is that the e-scooter is a better vehicle. Purely, it's more like a magic carpet, right? You jump on it, press a button, and you really go where you want. You don't have to you know break a sweat. It is really a vehicle, purely, right? And I think the reason it hasn't been you know as as widely adopted as the e-bike is is very similar to what I explained, which is but the opposite, you know, which is you know kids are like I mean me when I was a kid I was using a scooter to go around but I never saw my dad or my mom on it you know I never saw people older than myself actually use them in their professional daily lives right um so that's the first thing so to me it was a kid's toy and then when big companies came into that started you know you know in a way democratizing them you know when you had Xiaomi and Segway come in the market they approached it from the lower end which was making e-scooters as cheaply as possible uh, as the first entrance uh, and when you do that, of course, you've got to sacrifice on quality. You've got to sacrifice on how long the, the product's going to last, on stability, on, on the feel, and, and how it looks, and you know, and, and feel when you touch it, right? And and that tended to maybe create a little bit of a bad reputation for scooters that they are products perceived as more toys than actual vehicles you can use every day, you know, in a professional setting beyond just a short family trip or something or playing with your kids. I think these are the the fundamental issues that mark the difference. They're both great solutions, and I think this scooter is just a better vehicle, but e-bikes also has amazing advantages in other things. Great, thank you for that. Uh, Julia, do you have anything for Elliot? Yeah, first of all, I wanted to plus one a comment that you made, Elliot, about electric scooters being uh, like hopping on a magic carpet ride. That needs to go somewhere. That's beautiful. I love that idea. I love that image. Um, Julia, Elliot, do you remember... I when we were originally talking about this show, we talked about maybe calling it Magic Carpet Ride. I think you were like, absolutely. <laughs> we never talked about <laughs> we that. Like, we absolutely we like, not. You missed out, guys. That's a good yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Jim came uh, up with all the worst titles. But yeah, no, we're absolutely not calling it the Magic Carpet Ride. That, ride on is I, way better. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, she no, loves but it from Elliot. you, not from me, Elliot. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, Elliot. So, okay. That, you know, that comment aside, um, I think... Um, I have a few, uh, you know, questions for you, some of which are, are more relevant to the scooter and, and some of which aren't. Um, so, uh, first of all, Elliot, one of the things we're seeing, I, I recognize you're now part of uh, Mc McLaren Applied, so not a McLaren, but we are seeing a lot of lightweight electric cars come out, baby Bugattis. We just talked about a, a cyber truck um, uh, quad. Um, there have been other uh, vehicles that we've reported on where it's just like a, you know, a smaller size of a, a very um, noteworthy and uh, prestigious vehicle. What do you think? Is that like, are we going to see a, a McLaren come out or um, is that like in your trajectory too, even in Lavoie, um, thinking about, or Lavoie, even in thinking about um, how you can you get into that lightweight electric car space? 
Look, that's a, that's a very good question. I think it's also a very interesting trend. It really much aligns with, you know, the observation that cars currently are quite inefficient because, I mean, for cities, they're great for long distances. Once you get beyond cities and you move across, you know, wide, wide, wide distances. But in urban environments, you want the vehicles that are as compact as possible, right? And that if you're going to use them just yourself or with your partner or with your kid, you know, you, just, you don't need that much space, right? For short distances from your house to work, etc. So there, I think they're also a very useful, interesting uh, vertical to develop. The truth is, I can't speak for group. Uh, they always have all these amazing projects, so maybe <laughs> uh, applied as maybe well. Maybe it's already you know, in as, the works, yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. Applied also has fantastic, you know, projects and technologies they're developing. So, you know, that, that might be the pipeline. I'm not really aware of it now. But I think for us, the the best thing I can say about uh, about the strategy at Lavoie is really, you know, it's it's really looking at the fact that if you look at urban mobility, we really believe that the e-scooter is the best solution right now to develop. Why? Because e-scooters have a perception issue which can be solved if the right ones are produced. Right? If you suddenly start producing and distributing e-scooters that feel like vehicles or as safe as vehicles, they last you know over 10,000 kilometers, the performance is amazing, the connectivity is automotive grade, the manufacturing is automotive grade, the support and after sales is automotive grade then progressively people are going to start using them more, you know, and, and under, understanding them as vehicles, as vehicles, right? So as it sounds, it's not an easy thing to do. We spent years developing, you know, our Series 1 together. I think we're there now, so about to, to, to deliver the first ones, but it's very difficult. So once we've successfully achieved that, why not, you know, it's, it's I think, mobility, urban mobility, electrifying, you know, transportation, you know, throughout society is extremely important. I mean, that's why you guys are doing that podcast with guests and at further than that. So yeah, literally. So definitely in the future we would look at that. But there's many, many very interesting vehicles to look into, right? Of course, e-scooters and again, e-bikes are a great option. You we also have ATVs. You have many applications, you know, of, of different types of vehicles in different environments that that obviously need to be electrified because electrification and electrical power systems have got to a point where objectively, honestly, they're better than than fuel system, than combustion engine. And the only thing that that kind is that is kind of blocking it right now, obviously, is you need time for people to be able to buy new vehicles and stuff. But it's honestly, it's not even a range anymore. On on one charge, you can go quite far with with whatever vehicles. I mean, on on the series one, the max version with seven hundred watt hours, you can probably like you know last a week of commuting before you charge it properly, right? So I mean, it's it's good enough. The thing is, same with with cars, you can drive hundreds of miles now on one charge. The problem is charging speed, right? And you have to look at fuel and combustion engines as being charged also. Like what you're doing is transferring energy. The difference is that when you do it with fuel, you're just pouring a liquid, which is effectively your energy, your electricity, and that goes super quick, super fast, and it's very energy dense, right? With electricity, you need time to charge it, and it reduces a little bit the functional use. Uh, of the system, but honestly, now I think we're, we're almost at that point where there's not really a reason to go for combustion. At least for cars, at smaller vehicles, even motorbikes and stuff like that, it's getting to power. So, sorry for the very long answer. My point <laughs> no, is good. definitely yeah, yeah. Lavoie will look at uh, other types of vehicles in the future uh, as long as we can, you know, help redefine, you know, the way people perceive uh, small vehicles and and really, you know help people be confident in them and, and accelerate their adoption, that would be great. And I think first, you know, there's a massive need and opportunity on the e-scooter side to just create e-scooters 
that people are effectively proud to own, proud yeah. to go around with, yeah. and they can they can live their yeah. life and ride with confidence, reach their goals and stuff without being yeah, behind, yeah. Like, yeah, looks good, works well. A ride's like a magic carpet, right? Um, so, yeah, Elliot, exactly, you, right? Yeah. Life is that, you see? <laughs> the magic carpet, uh, for sure. <laughs> so, James, I'm going to go back to you in a second um, for maybe a final question to close this out. But, Elliot, the other thing I've been really curious about, so we've heard from a lot of founders who are effectively trying to reinvent, you know, whatever vehicle that they're doing. And so, normally, they start with, with just a blank sh- uh, sheet of paper or, you know, a blank screen and just say, like, di- designers, don't even think about a bike. Don't even think about a scooter. Just like, you know, design something that's really functionally um, going to fit whatever the the rider needs and also, you know, is going to look cool. So here's my question. How much of this process do you all do like using designers and how are you starting to use artificial intelligence in both the design process and then also like in manufacturing? Like, are you using AI at all? That's a very good question. So in terms of industrial, so when you create, when you're trying to do, like you say, like many founders are trying to do, which is you know really create high quality, beautiful vehicles, because you know function and aesthetics almost go hand in hand. When you buy something with that premium purpose, you also look at the way it looks, obviously. So, in terms of industrial design, in my you know personal limited experience, nothing comes close to talented automotive industrial designers and their teams, you know, so we worked with Callum and people at McLaren, Klein, McLaren, and so like right now to design the vehicle in terms of the aesthetics and the function, obviously we went through very talented automotive people. Uh, the engineering still has to be sold by clever engineers because some of it can be very challenging um, depending on what you're doing. Uh, and that's, that's, that requires basically in my opinion, what requires creativity and thinking out of the box and finding new solutions that don't really exist yet, you need the human still, you know, like AI is not at that point yet, right? Uh, now, when you can start optimizing, definitely you're right, is, you know, probably assembly lines and specifically how you procure parts, uh, how some parts can be designed also, and how you organize the whole assembly lines and optimize it for, you know, cost and quality and make sure everything works well. Uh, and that's the superficial, realistic business approach. Now, if you go deep uh, into what's achievable today, you know, you you can have a look, and that was already the case a while ago. You have some people creating algorithms that can, you know, optimize the way structure is built with certain materials to minimize the weight and make sure that the the strength is 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 the strength is you know what it is required to be with minimal weight, and they create beautiful netted structures. I think Airbus did a coolie bike time. Uh, so you get all these techniques over how you can do, but to answer your question, I don't think at all that we're at the point where ChatGPT could, you know, fully design and engineer a beautiful uh, electric vehicle end-to-end, but I'm sure that, you know, AI might be not too far and could get close, but I, I don't know enough about it right now to, to tell you whether it's there. The truth is right now, I think most manufacturers that try to push it in terms of premium and really high quality vehicles uh, are still going through, you know, talented engineers, talented industrial designers, uh, people that have experience with supply chain and assembly lines. And obviously, ultimately, and I, I personally think it will get there, uh, AI will take over some of those functions. But the creative side is tough to, you know, to reproduce with artificial intelligence. That's, mm-hmm. that's something to be seen in the future. 
Yeah, totally, totally. And um, shout out to, to Kellen Design. I, I saw that that they, they, you worked with them quite closely. It seems like on the vehicle, and they seem like they do uh, really amazing work. Um, Ellie, we're we're out of time, but I want to ask some rapid fire questions if you don't mind. Just kind of keeping your response to one or two words. The first one is uh, the origami style design. Who came up with it? Um, did you come up with it in the shower on a run? Uh, no, was no, no, no. Was, that Who was the credit for the origami that, style? So the that's. A few Formula One engineer, ex Formula One engineers from McLaren Applied that came up with that design to basically looking at, at Formula One suspensions to make a, a very compact thing with a awesome. white base. And so yeah, I like it. We'll, we'll show it. Um, it's very cool, very clever, a very awesome uh, idea around how to fold. I think folding is critical with electric scooters. And I think that's an elegant design. So congratulations on that. Um, the next one is uh, you know if I'm in uh, if I'm if I'm I'm, I'm here in the U.S. I go to I go to Lavoie Electric right now. I want to buy the vehicle. I buy it today. When am I going to get that vehicle in my home? November, probably November, early to mid November twenty three. Yeah, but basically, now we're basically building the tooling and assembly lines. Like prototypes are validated, software validated, app done, everything's done. So we're just building the assembly lines to be able to deliver the product. I think yeah, around November in the US. The US is probably going to be the country that gets it first. I think by a f by a few days, weeks. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we're excited to see it here uh, in the U.S. I think you got a lot of rider potential riders here. Uh, and then final questions, I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll steal Julius Thunder here. If you can't ride the Lavoie Series One uh, because you know it's it's in the shop or you know just it's it's out of battery for some reason, what is the vehicle you're riding, Elliot? Um, if you couldn't ride the Lavoie Series One, if I couldn't ride the Lavoie Series One, I have an Indian FTR motorcycle. That I absolutely love. Okay, that's a good answer. But, that's a good and, answer. And that might be a bit controversial here, but you know, let's say motorcycles okay. are the solution in between, the efficient. But that's a, a love passion thing that I raise. Nothing wrong with love that. You, you got to yeah, have passion like, when you ride. So yeah, and I hope, exactly. hopefully I'm, we'll see a lot of people with passion when they're riding uh, the serious one around as well. So thank Elliot, you so much, James. With, with that, I want to thank you for uh, for being on here, and I want to <laughs> wish you best of luck. And for everyone at home, of course, we'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, but you can order a Series 1, and as you heard here at first from, from Elliot, uh, you'll get that in November. So, yeah. And, oh, finally, Elliot, are we going to see you at uh, yeah. Mike Mobility America in October? Yes, I think so. I'll do I'll do my best to be there. Definitely in the pipeline, for sure, guys. Yes, shout out to that. So, if you want to ride it before November, uh, of course, you can ride it at, at Mike Mobility America, the, the little voice Series 1. So, yeah. Thanks again, Elliot. Um, have a wonderful Thanks day. You guys. And, uh, keep on making great products. Okay. All right, Julia, that was LaVoy. Are we going to see you on a scooter? And then also, I really think the origami fold is like perfect for you when you're always saying, you know, you're interested in lighter weight vehicles, where you live, and be able to move them up and down stairs. Um, are, is this the is this the, the, the scooter for you? You're shaking your head down? No, I, I just don't know. I mean, oh. this is the good thing about Micromobility America and the expo that we announced today, um, which is that... Um, I'm going to ride them all. You know, I'm thinking, yeah. James, that we actually get the equivalent of like bingo cards or something for Micromobility America. And whoever fills out uh, the most spots on their bingo card gets like a free electric vehicle or something. Um, so we incentivize people to try all of them. But that's going to be me. Like, I think I think it's amazing that we have all of these different types of vehicles. I'm super excited about getting to try them out. Um, and uh, a foldable origami foldable bike or a scooter rather. Uh, sounds like it could be interesting, but I'm not. I'm not going to make any choices until I, I get to ride them in person. That's there. We go. The bell of the ball. We got to see what happens. <laughs> um, amazing. <laughs> I love it. Uh, okay. Well, Julia, awesome, awesome week. As you recap, there, you know, head to head to uh, Microblade.io to buy your expo tickets if you're in 
I don't know, in the greater West Coast, you should come to the show. In you the know, greater you gotta, West Coast, yeah, you, yeah. You know, $5, I think you'll love it. Um, we're going to have tons of vehicles there. And then, yeah, check out the boy as well. We'll have it all in the show notes. Um, yeah, let's get riding, Julia. Hope you have a great weekend. Same thing, right on. Right on.